Hello and welcome to Reality Bites, episode 127. Now with more of the same. For the week of January 6, 2015, this is a Cure Studios production. We are your host, Lauren Law. Ropaxen. And Slothin, bringing you into the new year. And since he's not here, I don't have to say the next line. So, everybody, how have you been? Banter? Ah, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, I assume uh, everyone can notice the microphone differences for everybody. Uh, we're all in separate places today. Um, but first, I, of course, want to ask the usual question of how has your week been? Rofaxon. Um, It's been good. Uh, too, what did I do? I've been playing a little more Amnesia, uh, which is a good game. Um, oh, I beat Final Fantasy X. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has played Final Fantasy X, or how many Final Fantasy X fans there are, but, uh, it's not a, it's not a bad game. You know, it's not Final Fantasy VII good, <laughs> but it's, it's not bad, and... I don't want to give away the spoiler, oh, but if if you've heard the reason everybody hates it, sounds as we know it, because I feel what? fine. Anyway, <laughs> if you've heard the spoiler of what happens in the ending, you're like, oh, that sounds so stupid. It sounds more stupid on paper. Um, in the world that they've created for Final Fantasy X. So many people are in the same situation, it actually makes sense, and that's sort of the point of the game. Underline why you know that wouldn't be a good thing. And if you've heard the spoiler, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you'll find out when you play the game. Titus is still ridiculously annoying, I'll give you that. He's just a whiny little bitch, and I, I don't like him much. But he's not the worst character in the universe, and um, I I really thought the game had a lot of good things going for it. So overall, I'd say it's okay. Blitzball is also still stupid, but uh, overall, I I'd say it's a a decent game. You know, it falls about the middle of the pack. Um, so yeah, if anybody hasn't played Final Fantasy X. Uh, I'd suggest it. it's a good game, and the gameplay is awesome. I mean, it's just Final Fantasy VII gameplay, or Final Fantasy VI gameplay. But still, I love true turn-based, and it's it's uh, it's one of the last true turn-based Final Fantasy games. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that, and I finally beat it, and I really liked it. So that's what I've been doing. Okay, so Slotham, what have you been up to? Uh, various things. Poking around on Minecraft, I finished off the Dofa subscription that I had had previously. Um, da -da 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 -da. started poking around on another another game, but that one keeps making my computer shut off. So <laughs> I don't know if I'll be keeping with that or if I'll be taking advantage of the uh, negative temperatures that we're getting in the uh, surrounding days. Play that. Because your computer overheats, I assume? Yeah. Obnoxious. Just, just stick it out the window, you'll be so fine. you're gonna play outside, yeah. No, 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 my room's really not that terribly warm. Actually, instead of staying in bed till, like, 6.45, I probably could have been playing it, because, uh, it was even colder in the habitable, habitable part of the house, because, uh, somebody left the hall door open and let all of the heat out of the part of the house that we heat into the part of the house that we don't eat. Well, that's fun. 
And I'm trying to think what I've done. I, I watched some movies. I watched a movie yesterday called Hugo, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese a few years back. And it was halfway decent. And then, of course, to follow it up, because I, I needed something, you know, just as emotionally driven and interesting, I watched Muppets Take Manhattan. I just remembered, I watched movies last night. Oh, um, did you? Maze Runner and Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yes. That did not go and... the direction I thought it was going to go. <clears throat> Uh, Maze Runner, I've not heard anything good about, but Grand Budapest Hotel, I loved it, because it's another Wes Anderson film, and I have an obsession with him. You know, Slothin was talking about leaving the hallway door open. I'll just quickly mention, I put that plasticky, sealy stuff on my window, so my house is um, less cold. That oh, does yeah. help. Yeah, it's a really kind of boring story, but but yeah, I did that. Uh, I heard of, and I saw it off part of my door, so it closed in the nursery. So the nursery doesn't get cold anymore. <laughs> Can't have the nursery get cold. That's one of the most important not being cold rooms. So uh, I did a little bit of winterizing. I, I heard it was possibly chilly at your place uh, over the New Year's break. Uh, it was about normal <laughs> compared to what I'm used to. Um, it might have been. I don't know. Who said it was chilly? Oh, I just heard some shivering. But then again, that's because I'm monitoring your house from afar. That's a little bit creepy. <laughs> Is that at least with a cool drone? Because drones are cool. No, I have other means. I keep talking about that. Ah, well, that's boring. <laughs> um... I heard something cool about uh, winterizing your windows. What you can do is paint your, uh... The windowsill with magnetic paint and then take a sheet of that plastic stuff and then line the well make it to the right size for your window and line it with magnets so when the winter comes you can just sort of plop that on there and it'll stay there huh that's not a bad idea i never would have thought of that before yeah but putting up this stuff is a pain I mean, I know you're just taping plastic over your windows, and it sounds easy, but it's it's just a pain, and it yeah it is. So, so anything to avoid that uh, might be worth it, because you know you'd only do it one year, and then for the rest of the time, you just reuse it. So to go That's back cool to something uh, Slothin said, I'm interested. Uh, did you enjoy the movies? Yeah. Which one did you like more? Oh, I don't know. They're not the same kind of movie. And that's not the only movie I tried to watch last night. What else I, did you try? I, dem I uh, test out my willpower, and it was uh, apparently pretty well advanced, because I was able to get 22 minutes into The Last Airbender. Oh my god. Before I, I rage shut it off. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I can even test myself on that. Oh, I was definitely yelling at it just every time somebody would fuck a name. It's Sokka, not Soka. It's Aang, not Ong. It's the Avatar, not the Avatar. Okay. Ah! <laughs> Until I heard the Avatar, I was like, aren't you being a little nitpicky? I'm not even familiar with this series, but the Avatar? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, apparently M. Night Shyamalan got a hold of it and went, What can we do to piss off all the young people who have watched the show? Let's fuck up everyone's name. Alright, well, I suppose that's enough movie talk for now. Why don't we go on and do some stories? Rofax, and you're up first. Am I? Yes. <laughs> well... Volcanoes reveal lunar eruption long-lived from National Geographic. Um, let's see. Astronomers are moonstruck. The man of the moon we learned just last week formed from dark flowing lava over 3 billion years ago instead of a long-supposed giant asteroid impact. Now we learn the same volcanism may have kept on erupting, uh, erupting until surprisingly recent times. High-resolution imagery of the entire moon surface from NASA Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter reveals clear evidence of 70 small lava features covering dark lunar planes. Each rounded mound appears to measure about 0.3 miles 500 meters across, making them too small to be visible from Earth, according to the report released by the journal Nature Geoscience. The Arizona State University Discovery Team managed to date these bizarre features by determining the size and age of small craters scattered in the same region. The results shocked the scientists because it counters the existing theory that lunar volcanism died out several billion years ago. Instead, it likely shut off only within the 50 million years they suggest. The existence and young age of the irregular mark Mar patches provides a new constraint for models of lunar, lunar interiors thermal evolution, said study lead author Sarah Braden, formerly of Arizona State University, in a press statement. Our understanding of the moon is drastically changed by the evidence for volcanic eruptions at ages much younger than previously thought possible and in multiple locations, Braden said. See for yourself. While these tiny volcanic mounds are not visible with even the largest telescopes here on Earth, we can clearly observe the evidence for all the volcanism that created the moon that we know today. Even without a telescope or a pair of binoculars, a sightseeing tour of the lunar orb is easy. When you look up at the moon, you see a bright, a bright and dark regions. The bright areas are the ancient crust left over from the moon formations, and the dark areas are the relatively newer smooth plains that form from all the lava that erupted from the interior. These dark plains are what are called maria, Latin for seas. Uh, together, the light and dark regions arrange themselves into the popular face of the man in the moon. They were interpreted as a rabbit in the moon by the Maya and Aztecs of ancient Mexico, as well as Membrays Indians of the southwestern United States, showing that the moon's fascinated, showing the moon's fascination for cultures worldwide. The small volcanoes seen in the new study litter the dark maria, which cover about 16% of the lunar surface. The little volcanoes say the sea are excellent candidates for future exploration, including sample return missions. Such sample returns would allow for radioactive dating of the rocks, allowing them to confirm the relatively young ages suggested from the lunar reconnaissance orbiter observations. Until then, we can at least enjoy the moon from Earth and wonder what other surprises are in store up there. So, that's just kind of neat. Volcanoes, I had no idea. You really didn't? I thought that was... Uh, old news, really. Oh, well, look at Mr. Lee. 
eat us. <laughs> How did you not know that? <laughs> Don't drop your monocle lore. Uh, I not have that packed away right now. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, I did, I think the crater thing, the crater theory, has been popular for a long time. It has been, and that's fine too, because there are craters, but it's also lava sites. Yeah. yeah, and relatively new lava sites, which I think is interesting. Now that I is interesting. The moon cooled down ages ago. Well, if apparently, uh, not as uh, long ago as we thought. That is interesting, yeah. though. Oh. All right, Slothin, enlighten us, uh, lighten us with something else. Well, I got another story for you, given to me by Lorena, and it's about the moon. A Russian company wants to build a base on the moon. A private Russian company has announced it is capable of constructing a new exploration base on the moon, which will cost in the region of $9.3 billion. Lynn Industrial has designed the new lunar base, which would be built to Malapert Mountain near the moon's south pole, so that it can be constructed in two stages. In the first instance, the base would house just two crew, but it would then be followed by an extension to increase that number to four. Current plans suggest that a total of 37 rocket launchers would be required to construct the base, including 13 heavier carrier, heavy carrier launches. It is said that initial shipping and construction would take five years, and the base would be complete within ten. It's unclear whether the plant has secure funding or what the schedule for the project might be, but given another moon base but given other moon-based projects, based projects are also in the offing, this could signify a renewed interest in exploring our nearest stellar neighbor. Yay! <laughs> now I want to play Minecraft and actually pay attention to my moon base. Maybe moon make it into a base cool. of a, a moon hut. It seems rather difficult to get up there, though. Oh no, I've got mist books that'll get me there. Oh, well that's not fun. Oh, that's a little cheaty. Anyway, yeah. I don't think Miss Books would get you there. They could get you back and forth from there and back, but I don't think they uh, brought you to the moon. They just did other dimensions. Yeah, I've been there and back. Oh, oh. So you're just that was making my... the trip shorter. You're playing yeah. The Hobbit. That... <laughs> yeah, that was my goal with, um, that's why I paid so much attention. Well, no. That's the secondary reason for paying so much attention to magical crops, was to get the iron and Aluminum. No, it's tin. I don't know. Tin, copper, that crap. But that's totally irrelevant to the story. Moon base! <laughs> moon bases are cool. Let's just say moon bases are cool. They're already up there, I man. One. The Jewish moon bases? Yeah, well. <laughs> Wait, there are Jewish moon bases? I want to know who's talking about this. That would be Adam Curry. Though he denies that he said it was Jewish moon bases. Even though he did. It was an amusing side segment. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next news story, which is how this hoax about space fooled over 1 million Facebook users. <laughs> if you've been paying attention on Facebook recently, you may have noticed a friend or two sharing a story about a phenomenon that would supposedly be happening in early January of 2015. Strange natural occurrences are happening in the world today, but nothing more magnificent than the one you will experience on January 4th, 2015, which is two days ago. <laughs> uh, according to British astronomer Patrick Moore, at exactly 9.47 uh, PST AM on January 4th, Pluto will pass directly behind Jupiter in relation to Earth. The story, 
uh, stated that there would be a once-in-a-lifetime planetary alignment where Pluto would pass directly behind Jupiter, which would counteract Earth's gravity for a short period of time, rendering everyone on the planet briefly weightless. Sounds cool, right? Sounds maybe a bit unbelievable? If um, you saw deadly. this, <laughs> Yeah, kind of. If you saw the story and were skeptical, you had every right to be. It's just not true. The Daily Dot did a really great job at debunking this hoax that was shared over one million times on Facebook. If planetary alignments ever caused worldwide weightlessness, they would likely have heard about it more than a few weeks before the next one. They would have read about it in their high school textbooks. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I think that's all we need to say. Why? Uh, yeah. Number one, yeah. why would anyone think that that was true? Uh, because what, that's what idiocy. Pluto going behind Jupiter, that gravity is going to disappear. But the thing is, people actually believe this. Which that shows that. how stupid people are. <laughs> I, I just... have one thing to say about this stupid article. Patrick Moore plays the xylophone. Patrick Moore plays the xylophone. Because that's the only interesting thing about this article. Okay. No, it was shared a million times and people believe that. Believe no, it. people believe that's... stupid shit all the time. It, it... I, this stupid, really, I swear, just because it's on Facebook, people think that it's some, like, out of truth. Why did, why did people, I, I mean, if something's on Facebook, I'm less likely to believe it, but people believe this. I just think it need, we need to take a moment and say that people believed that this story was the real thing. You do <sighs> realize that there's the flat Earth community, right? There's still, uh, mm -mm. I like to think that they're being um, Facetious? something along those lines. <laughs> no. I think it's... Last I heard, it was run by a guy from Texas who married a woman from Australia who... For reasons... I, I think she liked him because he didn't say she was down under because apparently that's from people saying that Australia's on the other side of the world so they're under everybody else. I didn't know that's where that was from and I don't know that that's true the origin of the phrase. But yes, they are on the opposite side of the world from somebody. I don't know. Yeah. Geographical opposite things. Eh, I would have to look at a globe to know where that is, but yeah. And so, I don't know, now they're married and stupid. And I don't know why I'm talking about this. It's just depressing. <laughs> I just... Uh, I, 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 having trouble wrapping my mind around people actually believing this. But apparently they did, and I people, just thought that was disturbing. People can believe anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's very possible. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise it me. Nothing surprises it me about that. It should. This should be disturbing. You should not be okay with this. Well, I didn't say I was okay with it, but I, under, I understand people just will reach out and grab anything they want to and believe it. Maybe this is the hoax. Maybe nobody really believed that story, and this is a hoax to say people believe something ridiculous, which is actually not true. Huh? Probably not. I uh, think I've seen that pop up on my feet a couple of times, and at least one of those people was saying, hey, look at this really stupid shit. Good. Well, yeah, that is just... Kind of I wonder if the million shares is people going, hey, look at this stupid shit. 
<laughs> we can hope. Oh, I suppose. Actually, it could be. All anyway, right. that's all we need to say. Alright, uh, Rofaxon, it's your turn once more. Idiot. Google to FCC if the internet is a title to utility, let us expand fiber. From Engadget, Verizon famously said that if the FCC heeds President Obama's urging and declares the internet a title to utility, it would cause great harm to an open internet competition and innovation. But exactly the opposite of that may happen, according to a letter from Google to the FCC. Mountain View pointed out that if broadband internet access is declared to be a Title II service, then Google Fiber should be granted the same access as other utilities to poles and other essential infrastructure. It went on to say that doing so would actually promote broadband deployment and competition. Google is often forced to dig trenches for its fiber internet, limiting the highly sought service to just a few communities so far. That's because access to poles, ducts, and conduits at a tenth the cost is limited by federal law to traditional cable TV and telecom suppliers. Google doesn't legally fit that definition, even though it provides internet-based TV and telephone services. It has had poll access hassles in the past with carriers like AT&T, which said last year which said last year that it would cooperate more with Google only when it qualified as a telecom or cable provider under federal law. Google was quick to add that the FCC didn't give it the same rights as cable or telecom providers under Title II. The result would be a subs... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Google was quick to add that if the FCC didn't give it the same rights as cable or telecom providers under Title II, the result would be a substantial barrier to network deployment by new providers such as Google Fiber. The search giant has been quiet on internet regulation so far, and the FCC letter isn't exactly an endorsement of Title II, but Google's position is a tad more optimistic than other telecoms and cable service providers that it also gets the same rights they do. Former FCC Chair Reed Hunt told the WSJ that if Title II gives poll access, that if Title II gives Google poll access, then it might really rock the world with broadband. Ah, oh, so that's neat. It would be cool if Google had the same rights that everybody else did. I am not endorsing the whole Title II thing. I'm just saying this is kind of an unexpected consequence of it. I have nothing to say because I'm happy with my internet, so, eh. Yeah, well, it's great that you have fast internet, not all of us do. No, it's just you. <sighs> it's not just me. <laughs> In the whole world, I'm not the only person hey, with slow you, internet. you didn't have to choose to live out in the country, did you? Um, no, I didn't. So... so People are making big sweeping, are talking about making big sweeping changes in the econo system, and they don't understand that that's going to alter the habitat and cause different entities to be able to survive more effectively in it and possibly kill off other entities. Interesting. And, and they're going to be able to expand their area of influence, those entities. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, Slothin. Speaking of indigestion, uh, tell us the next news story. That had nothing to do with indigestion. You were giving me it with your words. The economy to ecosystems. 
Possible link between red meat consumption and increased cancer risk identified. While the effect of eating red meat on the risk of developing cancer is, con is a contentious topic, the evidence that long-term consumption of red meat is strongly linked with a modest but significant increase in the risk of de developing bowel cancer is convincing. However, scientists have failed to find a mechanism to, to explain this apparent association, despite several hypotheses having been put forward in the past, but now a new study conducted on mice is finally offering us some insight. They found that a particular sugar, which is present in high quantities in red meat, could be triggering an inflammatory immune response, which is known to encourage the development of cancers. Furthermore, long-term exposure of this sugar to mice was found to significantly promote spontaneous cancers. The work has been published in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences. Ah. This bit at the beginning is not technically, ac is not technically accurate. It doesn't agree with what's said later on. That annoys me. It is well recognized that long-term consumption of red meat is associated with increased risk for certain cancers in humans, in particular colorectal or bowel cancer, but what has perplexed scientists is to why the same does not seem to be true for other carnivorous animals. One factor that scientists identified was a potential culprit for red meat's apparent carcinogenic effect is a sugar called NEU5GC which is found in most carnivores, but not in humans. Even though humans can't synthesize this molecule, it has been found in high levels in some cancerous tissue. To find out more about whether this sugar could be contributing to the increased cancer risk, scientists from the University of California, San Diego, surveyed common foods to find out which contain the most NEU5GC. They found that it is highly and selectively enriched in red meat, such as pork, beef, and lamb. Previous work discovered that one form of NEU5GC is bioavailable, meaning that it can be distributed throughout the body via the bloodstream. Furthermore, despite having, despite being a foreign substance, it becomes incorporated into human tissues. The researchers therefore hypothesized that the presence of this sugar in our bodies could be triggering an immune response, which in turn leads to inflammation and subsequently the pr promotion of tumor formation. To test this out, they engineered mice to be deficient in NEU5GC, mimicking the situation in humans. The team notes that these mice are already prone to develop tumors in the liver, an organ that can incorporate NEU5GC. They then fed these mice a diet enriched in the sugar for 12 weeks, and then gave them regular injections with the sugar antibodies to replace what happens in our bodies. Sure enough, the mice developed systemic inflammation and experienced five-fold increase in the incidence of cancers. While this is the first study to show that mimicking the situation in humans increases the development of spontaneous cancers in mice, the researchers acknowledge that it will be more difficult to prove in humans. However, the results, the results could provide a possible explanation for the link between red meat consumption and other diseases worsened by chronic inflammation, such as type 2 diabetes. Of course, moderate amounts of red meat can be a source of good nutrition in young people, lead researcher Ajit Varki said in a news release. We hope that our work will eventually lead the way to practical solutions for this Catch-22. <sighs> yeah, as I said, the earlier article said they just shoved a bunch of the sugar in mice, <laughs> completely ignoring the fact that they modified the mice to not being it, to not to be deficient in it in the first place, which alone caused a greater incidence of cancer, and then they pumped them full of antibodies that would well, go after said thing. Well, it's supposed to be Straight simulating it. what it does in a human. Except that they were hypothesizing that it caused inflammation in humans. Making it cause inflammation in mice isn't the same as testing whether it causes inflammation in humans. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. But they're scientists. They, already... they know what they're doing. Mm, probably.
Possibly. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, my mo my agitation is more with either of the article than the scientists themselves. I'm. I think they probably know what they're doing, but the writer did not capture that very well. All right. Well, I'm going to move on to a a wonderful story about a man and a cat. Are you ready? No, but yes. Go on. <laughs> I just wanted to do that. Anyway, more police. What the fuck? Alabama man shot, killed by police while turning in a stray cat. These are the sorts of stories that drip, drip, drip across newspapers and websites and underscore fears that something is very wrong with law enforcement in today's America. Robert Earl Lawrence was turning in a stray cat to a Dothan, Alabama animal shelter. For some reason, he had to show ID before he could leave the cat, which I guess they want to make sure that you're just not dropping off cats. Rather than pulling out a driver's license, he instead showed the paperwork that identified him as a sovereign citizen and therefore not bound by federal, state, or local laws. Oh, there's your first mistake. The workers at the shelter called the cops. Arguments ensued, and Lawrence was shot in the stomach, dying several hours later that day. Prosecutors said Lawrence had obvious anger issues and often expressed anti-government views. He pleaded guilty earlier this year to making harassing communications in connection with threats he made in January 2013 to the State Department of Human Resources, and he served 90 j days in jail in the case. Investigators said he had been angry with the department in connection with a child custody dispute, and two women filed protection orders against Lawrence this year after he allegedly choked one and threatened another. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he, he declared himself a sovereign citizen, they called the cops on him, and then apparently shot him. Because he turned into a stray cat, and they wanted him to have ID. One, this you is why you never ID turn into a stray cat. <laughs> well, there are reasons they do it. They want to make sure that you're just not stealing pets or doing crazy things like that. Yeah. But No. If the point is to get stray cat is to be able to drop off stray cats, you need to be able to drop off stray cats. Two, an unarmed person in an altercation with the police, a gun should never be drawn. Taser, perhaps, and yeah, you can kill people with those, but there's no reason to accelerate to shooting somebody who's completely unarmed. And demonstrably wait, wait, unarmed, because he's angry enough that had he been armed, he probably would have shot the place up. Because he does appear to be mentally unstable. <clears throat> He was armed. He had a cat. Did you miss that part of the story? <laughs> yeah. Man attacks yeah. local police officers with stray cat. Should have the headline. They shoot him in self-defense of cat illnesses. Were they screaming, he's coming right for us and shot him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's really no defending this story. And I like how they Let's wrote move it on. as a... Uh... This is depressing. And I uh -huh. like how they wrote it as a defense of the police. Did they? Do you know where this is uh, on? This uh, is from Reason. Yeah. Wow. To me, that sounded overly sympathetic for the police. Usually, Reason's a bit more... Uh, actually, I can see why they would do, do it as a uh, tempered story, but still. That was overly sympathetic. You, they shot an unarmed guy. You don't have to be, you don't have to be mean to the police. I mean, this story speaks for itself. They 
presented facts and they don't have to do anything more than that because they shot a guy for turning in a cat. Not for turning in the cat, they shot a guy for not showing identification. Well, but still, he came there because he was turning in a cat. Papers, please? Papers? Papers? Wow. <laughs> I kind of don't want to play that game. Alright, so, Rofax. Papers, please. It's, it's your turn. Yeah, no, I don't think I'd play with it. I don't think I'd play it either. Um, first steps taken towards anti-aging drug. <laughs> Aging is a large risk factor for many of the top global killers, like cats, including heart disease, stroke, certain cancers, and Alzheimer's. Researchers have long been seeking a medication that would fundamentally change how aging occurs effectively acting like a fountain of youth. A small step towards this goal has been achieved with a new study which acts upon certain genetic pathways to boost, to boost immune functions in the elderly. Joan Manick of Novartis Institute for Biomedical Research in Massachusetts was the lead author of the paper which was published in the Science Translation in Science Translation Medicine. The study focused on the pathway of mechanistic targets of rapamycin, commonly referred to as mTOR. This genetic pathway is important for the healthy growth of cells and protein production, but abnormal functions have been linked to several age-related diseases. Function of the mTOR pathway can be inhibited with rapamycin, which stops normal cells which stops normal cell growth in T cells responsible for programmed cell death. These cells become abundant in older age. The study itself used over 200 participants over the age of 65, 65 an age group that makes up the bulk of influenza-related deaths each year. The test group received rapamycin, while the other was given a placebo weeks before the seasonal flu vaccine was given to all of the study participants. The researchers found that those who had received the rapamycin and had the mTOR pathway inhibited produced 20% more antibodies in response to the flu vaccine than the control group, indicating a boost in immune function. While the effect did seem to be dose-dependent, even lower doses of rapamycin confirmed an, conferred an immunity boost. While inhibiting mTOR has been known for years to extend the life of life of mice and other test animals, researchers need to tread care when translating the possible effects the drug may have with humans. Rapamycin did appear to bolster the immune system in order to stay off disease, but considerably more research is needed to understand how this plays into other effects of aging before this can be called a true anti-aging drug. The research researchers cautioned against overstating the results of their study. It's very important to point out that the risk-benefit of mTOR inhibitors should be established in clinical trials before anybody thinks this could be used to treat aging-related conditions, Manic told Dim Dennis Thompson of Health Day. Oh, there you go. Now, how's that anti-aging? All I've heard was something about better immunity. Well, it's not so much anti-aging as it's attacking some age-related some consequences that aging has on the body. Like when you get older, you're not as good as at keeping up 
your immune system. So that's kind of anti-aging. You have the immune system of a young star, even though everything else is anti-aging. Hmm. I think it's an important step in the right direction. Most people don't. I mean, people do, but I don't think most people quote-unquote, die of old age. They die of some disease they get because they're old. Organ failure. So, yeah. Well, well Everyone well, dies of flu. organ failure. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, the flu, for example. A lot of old people die of the flu. And if this drug would make your immune system like that of a young person, less old people would die of the flu. So, being old wouldn't be a risk for dying of the flu anymore, and I mean, that's a good thing. And I, uh, that's kind of some exciting research going on there. I think it's reasonable, but I think our first steps towards anti-aging is going to be reasonable. We're not going to have a fountain of youth that works in the movies, where you, like, take a drink and all of a sudden you're a 20-year-old. It's going to be more combating different pieces of um, what makes us old, so... I think it can be exciting research if it if it turns out to be uh, true or whatever. I don't know. An interesting observation there. So this is a drug that boosts immune response. Let's take that in conjunction with the previous article that I read, where it was an immune response to a particular sugar that caused an increase in cancer. <laughs> and... So they might not have the effect that it's it, it, it just the random association of having just read these two articles close together seems to imply, but it does sort of look like we're just whack-a-moling signs of aging. Okay, it, immune response to this protein is causing you cancer, which kills people, which is a large killer of old people because young people just don't serve young people aren't as likely to get it um but your your weakened immune system is what causes you to die from diseases so let's boost your immune system and give you cancer <laughs> or let's hinder your immune system but then you die of influenza i don't know it's just even if that association is real if that's a concern they'd have to have. It just shows how much more complicated the issue is than probably a lot of people think. Well, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Well, Slothan, give us something else to think about. You put these articles in a weird order. I did. I yeah, could that make belonged... a... I couldn't in... match it up properly. That belonged closer to the red meat article whereas this one belonged more with your article they did and you but... totally should have given me that one because yeah you gave the anti-aging article to the guy who thinks you should accept death <laughs> and that's why i did it hey I, I still think that you can do the anti-aging stuff and accept death we can certainly improve our quality of life while we're still here we can even increase our lives so we live to 200. But the reality of the world is we will die, and I don't think you have to take that as a negative thing. Yeah, it, I just thought it was funny that he gave it to you. <sighs> Instead of the guy who actually studies biotechnology. <laughs> oh, well, my article now. 
Judge allows Libertarians' court challenge in New Hampshire to proceed. A federal judge has ruled that the Libertarian Party can proceed with its challenge to a New Hampshire law it claims could prevent its candidates from getting on the ballot. A third party can have its nominees placed on the New Hampshire general election ballot by winning at least 4% of the vote for either governor or U.S. senator in the most recent election, or by collecting signatures equal to 3% of the total votes cast during the prior election. Under a law that took effect in July, parties can't begin gathering those signatures until January the 1st of the election year. The state argues that it, the change ensures that signatures on nomination papers are valid, but the Libertarian Party sued, arguing that it would make it difficult, if not impossible, for the party to petition its way onto a ballot. The state asked the court to dismiss the lawsuit, but U.S. District Court Judge Paul Barb. Barbadoro refused. In a ruling this week, he noted that the right to vote must be balanced against the state's interest in co conducting orderly elections, but said whether or not the new restrictions are reasonable depends on factors that have yet to be explored. The state offers a number of arguments in favor of the dismissal, but none are persuasive. In 2012, the Libertarian Party ran candidates for president, vice president, congress, and several state-level seats after collecting the necessary signatures, but it began the collection process in 2011 for the 2016 election. It would need to, be, it would need to collect 14,864 signatures. The signature collection process is like a marathon that's hard enough to, to just, just to finish, and now the state is essentially demanding that the Libertarian Party run the marathon in less than two hours. This is unfair and unconstitutional, said the attorney William Christie, co-counsel on the case along with the New Hampshire Civil Liberties Union. Attorneys for the party argue that the time limit is also time limit also effectively prevents the party from meaningfully participating in the general election because it would have to use its limited resource collecting signatures instead of on campaigning and fundraising. Assistant Attorney General Laura Lombardi, who is representing Secretary of State William Gardner, did not rep respond to a request for comment on Wednesday. In court filings, she argued that the new time limits are both non-discriminatory and reasonable and would impose only a minimal burden on third parties. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I'm glad they at least get their day in court. There is that. That's about all yeah. I can say about that, though. I mean, it, it still seems a little iffy, because uh, if you remember how elections work, you kind of need to... Uh, what is it? Get support the year before, and the year before that. It, it's a long-term mm. process. It's not going to just fall into your lap the year of the election. <clears throat> anyway, next news story... This will make everyone happy. New bill would make wearing hoodies a crime. Yes, it should be. <laughs> I'm wearing a hoodie Only right criminals now. criminals wear hoodies. Well, I'm a criminal because so I'm wearing like a hoodie so right now, too. If I had oh, thought man, of it, I'd I be wearing realize... two hoodies right now. <laughs> I think I was doing a show with criminals. All right, so here it goes. Why are you hiding your face? Oklahoma lawmakers are planning to introduce a bill this February that would make it illegal to wear hooded sweatshirts or hoodies in public, according to a report from Oklahoma's Channel 6 oh News. God. Republican Senator Don Barrington will introduce the bill, which would make it a misdemeanor to wear a mask, hood, or covering, either while committing a crime, uh, it's illegal to commit a crime while wearing a hoodie, but otherwise it's fine, or in order to intentionally okay conceal that. one's identity. Um... 
I don't know if we actually need this law. It's not going to do anything. Anyway, if the bill passes, offenders would be subjected to a fine of $50 to $500 and up to one year in jail. The ban would not affect mask wearers on Halloween or at masquerade parties, nor would it apply to people who wear head coverings for religious purposes. The bill's purpose is seemingly to deter crime. As Channel 6 report notes, uh, robberies caught on surveillance cameras often show the perpetrator wearing a mask or hoodie to cover his or her face. With the bill's language only prohibiting wearing hoodies while committing a crime or to intentionally hide, supporters say that the ban wouldn't negatively affect people just trying to wear a sweatshirt or day-to-day... Data data. Okay, I'm going to stop reading this because this is idiocy. Because if you're going to commit a crime, um, you don't care about the law, do you? Yeah, so, that would be why you're committing a crime. This isn't going to do anything at all in my mind. So, yeah, it will. Oh, will I can it? see exactly what this is for. Oh, They're what is trying... that? This is, yeah, the intent is this, is that people who wear things like Guy Fox masks at at a protests, a hoodie, or a combination of the two, they can then they can then cite them on some incredibly obscure tiny offense, and then shove this one on top of that. On top. Oh, of it. that's very true. Uh, you're committing a crime because you're you've you, you've uh, you're protesting without a permit, and and you're wearing a hoodie, so you're committing a crime doing that. So let's double it up, and you're going to jail for a long time. They already do this every time you get arrested for whatever it is they throw on like 17 other crimes they're like oh and you are wearing you have tinted glasses which is legal and your left hand was slightly too high and the reason they do that is because when they go in to bargain your sentence they're like we charge you with 8000 different things so we're going to we're going to be so nice we're going to do a plea bargain and throw all of them out except the crime that you actually committed that was wrong and this one other thing so we can get some fees. And this is another one of those. And it sounds like way. fun. Yeah, well I just on principle I really hope this doesn't go through. Because you can't tell someone what to wear. It's like, obviously, you're not, you're not allowed to do crimes. Okay, I get that. Doing crimes is illegal. That's why they're crimes. Okay. But you can't just arbitrarily say, and we don't like hoodies either, so you're going to have extra harsh penalties if you're wearing a hoodie. It's stupid. You can't tell people what they can wear. Yeah, anyway. Apparently they can. <laughs> well, the jury's still out on that. Uh, yeah. So far. For the grand jury. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Alright, Rofaxon, <sighs> yeah. lighten us up with some amazing things about identification, because I think that's part of what this is. Yes, seven surprising biometric identification methods. Um, hi. I don't, I don't see the rest of the story. Anyway, I guess I'll read what I have. Um, biometrics has long been put forth as the next big thing in authentication, replacing or supplementing the concept of things that you know, passwords, pins, and so on, with the things that you are. But despite lots of advances, it's clear that there's still plenty of room for improvement. Hackers have found ways to trick and circumvent biometrics, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, can I just read what the biometrics are? Sure. These are some biometrics that they're working on. Ear. Apparently... You heard it here, the shape of your ear is just as distinguishing as your fingerprints. No two ears, even on the same person, are alike. 
Startup Descartes Biometrics has come up with an app that, it, that can identify smartphone users by the way they press their phone to their ear and cheek. Though it's less than consistent, recognition means that perhaps this particular app isn't yet ready for prime time. Follow your heart. They say the heart always knows the truth, so it shouldn't be a surprise that, someone, that someone's come up with a way to prove your identity based on it. The NIMI is an in-development wristband that takes an ECG measuring the electrical signal generated by your heart's activity and use it to authenticate your identity. You can use the NIMI as a secure token for unlocking access to other devices such as smartphones and computers. To date, identifying people by ECG is less proven than fingerprints or iris retina recognition, but given the burgeoning popularity of smart devices that, measurement, that measure your heart rate, it could end up being a convenient method of authentication. But if you're having a heart attack, don't try to call 911. <laughs> uh, but biometrics. I suppose you could say that there's just one but about this biometric authentication method. And it's your posterior. Oh, that was really poorly worded. Anyway, turns out your keister, or more specifically the way you sit, can be used to identify you. One team of researchers has created prototypes of car seats that can tell who's sitting in it. It's not only great for making sure that only you, or presumably your family, can start your car, but also potentially handy for ensuring that your seat mirrors and other preferences are automatically adjusted for you. Plus, I could see businesses do this instead of have a card the chair just tells them. Yeah. The eye movements have it. Authentication via parts of the eye, like the retina or iris, has been around for a while, but an Israeli company wants to use unique movements of your eyes to identify you. It seems that we move our eyes in predictable manners when doing certain tasks, such as following an icon across the screen. The advantages of the system are that it's tough to fool since it requires a real-time response to a stimulus, rather than a status static factor like a fingerprint, and it's fairly easy to implement. The downside, I imagine, is that it requires eye contact, which may not be easy when you're driving, for instance, and it's probably a little slower than using something like a fingerprint. You're not supposed to be on the phone when you drive. But yeah, slower than the fingerprint. The nose knows. Not only is your olfactory organ good for smelling, but British researchers have established that it's a handy way to tell you apart from your neighbor. Your ears, your nose is distinct, probably belonging to one of six common nose types, and it's unlikely to be mistaken for anybody else's. It's also easy to recognize, though changing your nose is hardly as tough as changing, say, your eyes. Hollywood can vouch for that. <laughs> Ah, uh, you're so vain. Actually, I like this one. While your fingerprints may be the biometric or biometric standby these days, there are some issues with relying on them too heavily. For one, they're fairly easy to copy. Second, if someone is truly invested in breaking into your account, that may provide enticement to remove a finger. Your veins, on the other hand, can also use a finger or palm to provide a few additional benefits, most notably that the veins must be from a living person in order to work, and that they're very hard to fake. Um, then there's one about smell. Everybody has a unique smell to them, and then that's it. Okay, the reason I like this is um, biometrics are unreliable right now, and they're probably going to continue to be unreliable in the future, but that we're thinking outside of the box and saying things besides your fingerprints our options is kind of cool.
Because actually, I watched a study on fingerprints, and um, not a study, but a, a special. I think it was Nova. And they're apparently not really that great at predicting who you are. And there's a lot of cases where somebody was convicted of this or this, that crime based on their fingerprints, and it turns out identifying somebody based on their fingerprints is mostly intuitive guesswork. And the person was actually completely innocent, but they totally convicted him based off a positive match of fingerprints. So I just think it's neat to get away from oh, fingerprints. It's the only way we can do it. This is thinking outside the box. Neat. All right. Slothin. Murder by perjury in Pen 2 case? <clears throat> First, at the age of 19, he was shot nine times and left for dead in a 1984 robbery in San Antonio. A companion of Moreno was shot to death during the robbery. Then Moreno says he was pressured by police into identifying the wrong man after repeatedly saying it wasn't him. That man, Ruben Cantu, was executed based on Moreno's testimony in a 1985 trial. Now, Bexar County District Attorney Susan Reed says if her investigation supports Moreno's contention that the wrong man was executed, she may fail charges against him. For perjury? No. The three-year statute of limitations ran out a long time ago. For the, mur for the murder of Ruben Cantu... Murder has no statute of limitations. Cantu's lawyers, Gerald Goldstein and Cynthia Orr, say Marino is courageous in coming forward after 20 years of guilt to admit his role in, Can in the Cantu affair. They describe him as a meek person who was, as a 19-year-old illegal immigrant, probably even meeker and therefore sub subject to pressure from the police. Reed, as a passionate prosecutor, uh, as Goldstein and Orr are as defense attorneys, sees it differently. <clears throat> you guys, she says, referring to the Houston Chronicle and reporter Lise Olson, who broke the Ruben Cantu story two weeks ago, have put up a guy who says, I went into a courtroom, I lied, I knew I lied. A man has been executed because of that lie. That is pretty serious stuff. There are consequences for that. If there were not consequences, then the system would not allow itself to be attacked. The integrity of the judicial system is all based on truth, most importantly, presenting the truth to the jury. She said her office's investigation would also look at behavior of the police, but she doesn't think their behavior would exonerate Moreno. She pointed out that Texas law provides a defense for crimes committed under duress. So, Rofaxon sent me this story, and uh, I kind of want to hear what he has to say about it. <clears throat> okay, I don't care about this particular case so much. Was he under duress or not? I don't know. But this concept is just sort of fascinating to me. Can you... if it, Let's just say it was intentional and the point was to get this guy killed because you wanted him to die. Can you be charged for murder because you lie knowing that your lie will end in a particular individual dying? Can you murder someone with your weapon as the state? I mean, I don't know. It seems to me like the state was the one that did the actual murdering. Then again, you did lie knowing that your lie would lead to the death of an innocent person. Well, here's the, here's the, the thing. It's saying guns don't kill people, people kill people, but right. this story is bizarre. See, what I will say is, if he's convicted of murder, uh, the state is an accomplice, and therefore yeah. any state uh, execution is therefore murder. So we can't do it anymore because it's illegal to murder, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, but no, I think you would have to argue that the, the state's not an individual. It's not a person, so it's not necessarily bound by the same. Oh, laws. okay. So what you're the saying state... is, if I create a group of people together and no, we kill somebody, no, that's, that's not fine. What I said. Can Can I finish? No. Instead of just being interrupted. <laughs> What I'm saying is the idea of the state is it is an instrument of justice. I'm not saying that's necessarily true, but the idea is it's an instrument of justice, which the society has given it the power to be an instrument of justice. So he was using an instrument of justice to kill someone. So you'd have to view the state as a tool that he used to murder somebody. Well, they are tools. <laughs> well, they are tools. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't. Uh, you know, here, like, even if it wasn't the state, if I lie to you and say that, like, Bob, my mechanic, is cheating on your, is, is, is like having sex with your wife, let's say, and I know you're going to flip out and kill him because I said that lie, then Bob kills you, or, or you kill Bob because I said that lie, who... Who's responsible for that? Obviously you are, and obviously I would be. But do I get charged with murder? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, think like, you do. Line to, I don't know if you do. I, I've never and heard you anything morally. like that. Um, well, because morally, laws morally you are responsible. Uh, I don't know. I'm still up in the air whether or not I believe in execution sometimes. And, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a fan of execution. But we, it doesn't <clears throat> matter. He knew. I mean, it's Texas. He knew this guy was going to get killed. He does bear a responsibility. But what's the right crime for this? Executing him? No, obviously not, because executing him wasn't the right idea in the first place. But life in jail? I. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much responsibility he holds. It should be more than a fine. He shouldn't just walk away because, oh, oh well, I just told a little old lie. Well, the, uh, uh, the call it's over. Statue of Limitations. Well, if no, it's, it's not because if he, if you say he's responsible for this person's death. It well, perjury death. is just lying, and that is something that has a statute of limitation. Now, if but, it's murder, like the which article is what they're trying said, to charge, they're not, well, they're not charging for perjury, because you're right, but they're charging for murder. And I'm not sure that's completely ridiculous to do. Because he knowingly did something that led to another person being killed. He willfully told a lie that led to someone dying, and he knew it would lead to them dying. I'm not sure if that's murder or not. It might be, though. It really might be. Well, that's a hard one to judge. I'm going to say he bears responsibility. I agree with that for sure. And I think he needs to, he needs to be uh, charged with something. He needs to bear the responsibility in some fashion. I don't know if he should be charged with murder, though. He might be an accessory. <laughs> I, I would go with the accessory. 
of anything else. Let's, let's, for the sake of argument, assume that the state has been granted by the people uh, the ability to act as a tool for justice. Well, the tool for justice has to be wielded by someone, and it is wielded by the police. And I think the police in, who are involved with this case are as, at least as guilty as him. One, they used him to create fake evidence. Just because he's the one who did the lie doesn't change the fact that they were the ones who caused, who created the fake evidence in him. He said it was somebody else. They used whatever coercive methods they used, probably manipulating his sentencing, to be able to cause him to lie. I'd say that as much as, yeah, you might be able to charge him for something, I'd say the police who, in, who pushed him to lie about this, are probably responsible for a slightly high, slightly higher version of the same charge. If the police coached him to lie about it, I'm sure that their position seems to be, we were trying to get the truth, we didn't pressure him, he just, we thought this was the truth, and so we told him to say it. And if, if that's truly the case, then I don't think they'd own any responsibility. Just like if he lied, but he thought he was telling the truth. If he was misinformed, you know, no, but that's not his fault. No, it's not but lying I don't if you're know. misinformed. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not lying if you're misinformed. And it sounds like the police, from the quick perusal of this, art, this article, which is not the in-depth story, the police, I would think they would say, at the very least, they would say, we thought we were getting at the truth. We thought that he correctly identified this man and we just said hey say the truth up there when you're on the stand and if that's the case I don't think they hold any responsibility Except but I don't know about him says. as an individual but, no, but says, well, he said the person they wanted him to, to uh, testify against he flat out told them repeatedly that that person was innocent no that was his story. that's what he's saying I don't think the police agree with that no, I think this was overzealous police who are just after a conviction because they're more interested in convictions than with actual justice. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, certainly there should be consequences for that as well, but maybe they, th they were being overzealous, but they thought it was in an effort to get the truth. They thought the guy was guilty, so they were we, we don't, like, oh, you saw him, we know it. We don't have enough ev evidence or information to make any real decision. We no, can make, no, we don't. We, we can make uh, hypotheses based upon evidence that we think of, but... It's that. just the principle of the thing. I don't... If we had the evidence, I'd have a really hard time making a decision in this case. If the police are overzealous, is that murder? If they do uh, coerce somebody, which, yeah, there's, there's laws against it, but I don't know what those laws are. And morally, I, I don't know where to stand about um, using the justice system to get someone killed on purpose. It's, I don't know if that's murder or not. Seems like it is. I don't know. This is just weird. All right. So we have two more stories. And we're out of time, so that means hyperspeed. So I'm going to read one of them, and then Rofax will read the last one. Mine says, the UK monitors toddlers for extremism.
That's right. A new counterterrorism <laughs> measure that requires the UK nursery staff and child monitors to report toddlers at risk of becoming terrorists. <laughs> well, it's about time. Yeah. Man, they could just blow up anything. And robots. Well, I mean, they, they do produce toxic baby drool. Well, there's that. That could be used yeah. as a chemical yeah. weapon. <clears throat> Uh, they set off bombs in their diapers all the time. <laughs> uh, anyway, last story. Satanic display at Florida Capitol damaged. Um, I don't know anything about this story, and it's too long to read really quick. Apparently, something was damaged. I don't know. An angel ripped from a Satanic Temple display at the Florida Capitol sits on a table. A woman damaged a satanic display a day after an atheist group put it up as a counter to a nativity scene that was set up by a Christian group. Now, we've talked about this display before, and here yeah. it is damaged. Now, this report is from December 23rd. I was going to read it, I think, last week, maybe even the week before. Was so, it actually put up by atheists or was it put up by Satanists? Uh, this says it was put up by an atheist group. Yeah, then again, most Christians think they're the same thing. I recall there was an argument going on between there were atheists arguing with the Christians about them doing stupid shit, and then the Satanists intervened. Unless it's just a completely different story. It could be a completely be. different one. Either way, <laughs> Satanism, Christianity, atheism, all together in a big bunch having fun. <laughs> I hope so. Did it say gonna... anything else? Were um, charges pressed? I didn't see. I've closed this I story. I wonder if it gets the same attention. Anyway, it's the end of the show where I say, hey, where can we find you online, Rofaxen? Um, at Rofaxen on Twitter is the place of the best. But also YouTube, search Rofaxen channel, or just um, follow me on Twitter because I post the links to the shows I make. Uh, there'll be a Bethel Block Theater coming out in the not-too-distant theater. Uh, not too distant future, a new one, and there's still the um, Skyblock, which is like the uh, long-term regular series that I'm doing with Slothin. There's uh, those out there, so yeah, check it out. There's a bunch of random stuff too, just random games I've played, like Pixel Piracy and Delver, which uh, you know, if you've ever thought about playing those games, uh, watch my little walkthrough thing, and, and you can see if maybe you'd like them. And also on the Google Play Store at Ropaxin, where you can get the beer judging app. Which is excellent. And Slothin, where might we find you online? Twitter, Tumblr, not particularly Google+. <clears throat> Plus, and you can find me on Ropaxin's YouTube channel, where I can be seen or heard as my avatar is seen. Or maybe the avatar is the character Slothin, I don't know. Where you can hear me making bad jokes while playing, while I play Skyblock with Ropaxin. And I can be found as Lauren Law on Twitter and my anime list, and sometimes on Rofax's channel, but uh, not lately. But I can be found everywhere else as Cure Studios, for example, on Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+. Thank you for listening to today's show. We welcome to visit our site at curestudios.galaxy15radio.com, where you can click on the Donate tab at the top of the page. It gives a boost of moral support. Also, if you have any feedback or news for the show, please send an email to curestudios at gmail.com. That is K-E-I-R-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. At gmail.com. If you like our show, please subscribe and just for funsies, let your friends and possibly family know of us by giving them copies of our shows. How, Slothin? 
What you do is you start a bakery, and uh, whenever anybody wants you to bake a cake that could be slightly contentious, you uh, you do it. Like, if somebody's like, I want you to make this cake for my gay wedding, you're like, okay, I'll do that. And then if somebody's like, if you want to make a cake, I want you to make a cake that says anti-gay slurs on it, you do that. But then you also give them a free, cu free, uh, a, a free cupcake, a bunch of cupcakes that have... Uh, the whatever the URL crap is on it. Studios but only if it's something that somebody be, could be con could find contentious. Because we live, we thrive on contentious issues. <clears throat> now and again, so that actually, is true. Base it on your region. If somebody wants to make a gay cake in the deep south where people are going to be like, rawr, rawr, then you give it to them. But if they want to do it in, like, say, I don't know, California, nobody's going to care. Nobody cares. If they want to put it, make an anti-gay cake in California, then you give them the, the cupcakes, because then it's a contentious issue. But again, if you do that in, say, the Deep South, where people would be like, oh, anti-gay cakes, let's have all of those! Except in a southern accent that's not nearly so British sounding. <laughs> and then you give them, you don't give them the, cake, the cupcakes there, because that's not contentious there. Base it in the location. And if you're, like, in Utah, and you and, you, and somebody wants, wants to make an anti-Mormon cake, then you give them the cupcakes. But if they want to make a pro-Mormon cake, don't bother, because everybody, well, not everybody, a large proportion of Utah is Mormon, so it's not a contentious issue if they have pro-Mormon cakes. All right. Point of fact, if you're a cake maker, make cakes. <laughs> or don't. I don't know. Alright, so the opening song was Black Runners by Spleen, which you can find on Jamendo.com, and today's closing song is Techno Cartoon by DJ Dandy E. Ugo, which can be found on SoundCloud.com. We leave you now to rethink your New Year's resolutions. Eight, 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 eight.